Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. David centers one timer score. Oscar Clefbaum and Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time it's Clefbaum. He takes the snap. He looks to the right side. He's throwing to the end zone. There it is. Touchdown Eskimos. Duke Williams. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6:30, Chad. Hey, good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the radio program tonight. Reed cannot be with us. He's getting some time off, well-deserved time off. My name is Morley Scott, and I'll be in the chair tonight until 8 o'clock. That includes the Coaches Show with Jason Moss coming up at 7.30 tonight. You're stuck with me, folks. Uh, Reed taking some time off. Dave was busy. Brendan was busy. So it was going to be either me or dead air. Uh, Let's play this out over the next couple of hours and see if they made the right decision or not. Lots to talk about tonight. Uh, What a solid weekend in the world of sports. Let's go all the way back to Thursday night to start uh, the conversation about everything that went on. Uh, It was the Eskimos in Vancouver. Uh Uh-oh, they turned a 20-10 halftime lead into a 31-23 loss to the BC Lions. I thought we played really well in the first half. Um, thought we were efficient uh, offensively, defensively, special teams, all that stuff. Um, you know, second half, I didn't think there was necessarily a whole lot different outside of just my play. You know, I, I played how I'm supposed to play in the first half, and in the second half, I didn't. And that was that was the main difference, in my opinion. That's quarterback Mike Riley talking, uh, taking the blame for what went wrong on Thursday in BC. Nine former Eskimos in the Lions roster for that game. Uh, some made an impact. That's for sure. Trayvon Van, a touchdown. Odell Willis had a sack. Sean Lemon, a sack. Otha Foster, real good. Four tackles, a strip sack, and a recovery. Then he got his hand on that pass that set up the interception late in the game to end that Eskimo drive. Mike Riley to talk about all that a little bit later on tonight, plus the Eskimos coaches show with Jason Moss for Michener Allen Auctioneering. That's coming at 7.30. Winnipeg and Ottawa, the other winners on the weekend in the CFL. The Eskimos and Bombers now 5 and three tied for second place in the CFL West. Manziel wasn't great, but he certainly was better in the Owls' loss to the Red Blacks. They almost pulled it out, didn't they? Uh, 16 of 26, 168 yards, no TDs, but no interceptions for Manziel, who will be with the Alouettes when they arrive here for a game Saturday night in the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium against the Eskimos. They are a dismal 1-7, and seven, but as mentioned, we're pretty close uh, in Ottawa on Saturday night. Now, the big CFL news over the weekend came out of Regina on Saturday. We're always constantly evaluating our roster, our team, and, and the way we do things, processes, and, and coaching, what uh, uh, what things that we do at practice. And uh, so upon that evaluation, again, uh, made the decision that we were going to go in a different direction from Duran. Uh, I'm not going to go into any kind of specifics or anything like that, so uh, we're not here to, 
put a guy on trial or anything like that. I mean, we're here to, again, we released a, a very good player who uh, I think will end up, you know, he's going to land on his feet and that type of thing. So, uh, but we decided to go in a different direction for our football team. He's a very good receiver. I mean, he's a dynamic, um, you know, dynamic guy that, you know, it has a kind of a unique set of qualities. But at the same time, we, we do have a very, uh, we have a very young roster that uh, at the receiver position with the exception of Naaman, you know, and uh, we have some very capable guys that, uh, that we believe in. No, you know what? I mean, it wasn't any one particular deal. It was just, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was time for us to go in a different direction. That's Riders head coach, general manager, Chris Jones, not explaining why the Riders released Ron Carter on Saturday night. Called him a good player, a very good receiver with a unique set of skills. Those were Jones' words. I don't know. If you're a football coach, aren't those the kind of players you want on your team? I would think so. Uh, the Riders clearly keeping something from everyone in this deal. Uh, the complete reasons for Carter's release probably never going to come out. And if they do come out, it'll be little bits at a time, I would think, over the next little while. Uh, we'll have more from Regina coming up. But how about Tiger yesterday? Wow, dressed in red on a Sunday and in the hunt again. That hasn't happened for a long time. The PGA Championship had a feel to it like no major since the last time. Tiger was in the hunt back in 2008 when he last won his major. Beginning of the year, uh, if you said, yeah, I would have a chance, legit chance to win the last two major championships, I, with what swing? <laughs> uh, I didn't have a swing at the time. You know, I had no speed. Um, I didn't have a golf swing. I didn't have, uh, you know, my short game wasn't, wasn't quite there yet. You know, my putting was okay, but, you know, I, God, I hadn't played in two years. I've been in charted, uncharted territory because there's no one's ever had a fused spine hitting it like I'm hitting it. So I've had to try and figure this out on my own. And it's been really, really hard. It's a lot harder than people think. Tiger Woods might be on the way back. We'll talk more about that later on tonight. Speaking of... Uh uh, Rafael Nadal did not uh, know which way to hold the trophy yesterday. Did you notice that when he won the Rogers Cup? And uh, speaking of different-looking trophies, the first gretzky Halinka Cup goes to Canada. 6-2 win over Sweden in the final on Saturday. Nice to see a sellout crowd at Rogers Place. A lower bowl sellout, mind you, but still a sellout. Looked real good on TV. A pretty interesting tournament. Pretty good. I think we can uh, say the first one here was a success. It will be back in 2020. Uh, some of the topics we'll talk about tonight, plus some Eskimo tickets to give away a little bit later. On the other side of the glass tonight, it is uh, Kellen Kennedy. Uh, Kellen, am I doing all right so far? You're doing great so far, Morley. I, I cannot remember how this show goes. <laughs> I listen, but I don't take notes. Uh, it's been a long time, as I mentioned before. It's been about four years since I've uh, done this show. So I remember the last time you did this show. Just uh, keep me on the tracks, okay? Absolutely, Remind will do. me. All right, Kellen, you're my conscience uh, tonight, uh, for sure. Lots more to come your way tonight. Uh, we will go to the shores of Wascana Lake when we return. We'll head to Regina. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Kolaris takes a drop, and he's going deep. This one's to Deron Carter, and he's got it into the end zone for a touchdown. That is how Deron Carter can change a game. He just needs one football. He gets it and takes it to the end zone. I played okay. You know, it's all. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like, Tar just sitting there watching. Like, me and Eamon, we just, we just watching the game, watching the offenses go by. That's Deron, that's Deron Carter, and what was his last touchdown as a member of the Saskatchewan Roughriders? Also his last interview post-game here on August the 2nd as the Riders' bye week comes to an end. They made some pretty big news on the weekend, releasing receiver slash defensive back Deron Carter, an all-star last year, the Riders' MOP nominee last year, a two-time thousand-yard receiver. He's gone to talk about it. We're joined now by Ariel Zur of CJME Radio in Regina, who covers the Riders on a daily basis. How are you, Ariel? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a busy uh, couple of days here in Ryderville. I'll bet it has been. Uh, certainly not easing your way back in from the bye week, are you? No, I was actually on vacation um, in British Columbia when it happened. I had actually just boarded a plane, uh, and it was the last thing that I saw before I had to change to airplane mode was Deron Carter had been released. And it was kind of like a helpless feeling, but at the same time, I'm like, well, the world can just burn for a couple of hours, and it'll still hopefully be standing when I get back. Mm-hmm. It barely was, but uh, we. Uh, it seems like Rider Nation's kind of getting used to the idea. Man, uh, that's sort that's of. tough. You get you get on the plane. You got to turn your phone off. You can't get any more information after that happens. Was uh, I'm I'm guessing a very thoughtful couple of hours for you then, right? Well, yeah, I was actually watching the uh, Red Blacks Alouettes game, and it turned out we found out that he had uh, in the. It was actually in the middle of that Red Blacks Alouettes game that Chris Jones called Deron Carter and told him that he was no longer a Saskatchewan Rough Rider, and uh, it was shocking, I guess, and it wasn't. I would say morally, I would say that I was shocked that it happened now, but not necessarily shocked that it happened at all. And and when I say that, I mean there's been so many antics around Deron Carter for the last little while that I'm surprised that there was nothing, there was no catalyst. Jones said there was no one particular event that, that led to it, and so I was like, it, you know, it wasn't the pot charges, it wasn't all the 15-yard penalties, it wasn't, you know, all of these all of these things. It was, I think, a culmination in the end. But I, So I was surprised by the timing a little bit, but if, having watched the team like I have over the past season and a half, I would say not overall surprising. Yeah, that's that's the reaction I seem to be hearing from everybody. I I'm, I'm, was really surprised, but I wasn't really that surprised. And I think when you take in the, the two personalities involved in this, in Deron Carter and Chris Jones, that's probably the logical thing, a conclusion to come to, is that it's surprising, but still not very surprising, because a lot of people thought that was not going to be a, a marriage that lasted very long. It, it worked very well in year one. In fact, as I mentioned, he's the MOP nominee, but what went wrong? Like, uh, from your take on it, what went wrong? The, the move to defensive back was, was not explained and probably not even necessary, but still it was made, uh, and that's probably part of what was going on in the background that uh, I don't know if we'll ever find out what everything what, what it was that happened. I think there's a couple things. I mean, I think I, I, if you watch practice, as I have over the past, you know, few years that Deron Carter's been with the team, he's not like an effort guy in, pra- in practice. So, for example, um, and you probably know this from watching the team, they do the stretch period kind of in the middle of the uh, in, in the middle of practice where they go from the goal line to the 30-yard line and they're doing high knees and they're doing different exercises and while all of his teammates are, are, are participating in stretch, Deron Carter's just kind of meandering back and forth all the time. Um, if it's a run play called in practice, don't expect him to actually run his route out with any sort of effort. He, if the ball isn't coming to him, he's really not that interested. And I think sometimes you can even see that when he's playing in the actual games. If he knows the ball's not coming to him, he's not really interested. So I think there's 
kind of those things that uh, probably graded on Chris Jones over the last little while. And then I would also say there was something in that press conference that I thought was quite telling. And, and over the last season that Chris Jones and John Carter were together, they met every day. Mm-hmm. They kind of sat down, had a check-in. He kind of saw what Duran was up to. And, and uh, this season they decided not to do that. Chris Jones said, you know, he wanted to let him mature a little bit, stand on his own two feet. And uh, I'm wondering if, you know, Deron Carter just didn't quite hit the bar that Chris Jones was hoping to and his, his development and his maturity. Um, you hear it all the time. Deron is Deron. That's what his play, you know, that's what his teammates say about him. And um, I don't expect him to change. And maybe Chris Jones hoped he would. Uh, when you see the tweets of Jerron Carter, some of them and the quotes, some of them were very interesting. I know to, to Murray McCormick he talked, and, and he talked about the fact that uh, he didn't get – it seemed like the, the offensive coaches didn't like him, and he got texts from all the defensive coaches who thanked him for his service with the team, but he didn't hear from anybody on the offensive side uh, of the football. And he says it's well-known in Regina. If you, if you don't like Steve McAdoo, Chris Jones isn't going to like you because they're good friends, and that seems to be part of the problem, does it not? Well, I mean, I guess, and I can't really speak to the dynamics between the coaches, certainly. I mean, I, I would say that Deron Carter, it can be hard to like for a coach, I think. And, and I'm not sure um, I'm not sure what kind of to make of that. I, I, I will say that I've always found Deron Carter to be refreshingly honest. Um, he's someone that isn't afraid to speak his mind. And so I'm not saying that I don't believe Deron Carter, but I think that he's probably deflecting a lot of blame when he should be looking inward a little bit as well as to what's led to, you know, led to this situation. Let's not forget, Morley, that Deron Carter has never really been with any football team. And you can even go back to his college years for more than two years because he can be a tough guy. <laughs> you know, he can be a tough guy to have around. And I think that um, his teammates will miss him. Um, I, I think his coaches wanted him to be a leader. They lost a lot of leadership in that locker room. They lost Rob Bag. They lost Chad Owens. They lost Bakari Grant. And I think they were hoping that he would step up and, 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 and fill the leadership role. And he wasn't, I think, you know, acting like the leader they, that they had hoped he maybe could develop into. Yeah, coaches, you're, you're right. He's probably a hard guy to coach. You probably love him when he makes plays, but that, that shows you... Uh, you know, the risk is not worth the reward maybe in this situation with him, and it's maybe he was just too high maintenance to keep around everybody. Well, and all I can think about is, like, if Deron Carter could, like, apply himself even a little bit, could you imagine how talented he would be as a, as a receiver? I mean, he's got heaps of talent, and I know that, you know, he's not really putting in the work that, say, a Naaman Roosevelt is putting in or, or one of the rookie you know receivers is putting in to, to be on this football team. And, and so I just think in some ways, like, I, I can't believe that, uh, you know, I can't believe that he's kind of squandering some of the potential that he has, that his ceiling is so high and he just has no interest in reaching it. Yeah, he's fallen so far from the end of last season after just a tremendous year and a thousand yard season and all those touchdowns and even the pick six last year, the MOP nominee uh, to where he is now uh, released and out of work. It's it's hard to fathom a guy can fall that fast within one team structure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, I think you, you see the raw talent of Deron Carter, and I think he's being seen around the league. Of course, four teams rumored to be putting out offers to him. It, it's going to be really interesting. You know, I have had chats 
just casually with Jerron Carter before where he's, you know, he's been rather nonchalant, I would say, about his football career in that, you know, he at times he's been okay with quitting football. And, and really what's been more important to him is finding a place where he's accepted. And last year, I think he really felt like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were a place where he was accepted. And I'm not sure he felt the same this year. So when I saw that tweet that he made, um, I think it was Saturday night, saying he might just find a job where he could travel the world and a place where they accept me for who I am. I think that was a very honest assessment of how Deron Carter feels. You know, I, I think he felt over the years that that football's tried to change him and, and they expect certain things out of him and he's just going to be who he is and that's what makes him happy. I'm Morley Scott in for Reed Wilkins tonight on 6.30 Chet Inside Sports. We're talking with uh, Ariel Zur of CGME Radio in Regina about uh, the situation with the Rough Riders and Deron Carter. Uh, we won't get much player reaction. I don't know how much there's been on Twitter from the Rider players. Uh, they, they don't go back to practice until Wednesday of this week, mm-hmm. but the fan reaction has been phenomenal. There's, there's everything from I saw this coming to absolute blind rage at Chris Jones. Well, and I think that you, when, when you look at that, I mean, some people see the football side of things. Some people have been to practice. They see, you know, that he's not kind of putting in the effort at practice and that sort of thing. So they make, they, they see the 15-yard penalties, the questionable penalties that Duran takes on defense, and they say, okay, like I can see where Chris Jones is coming from this. But you have to also, the fans also see the other side. And Duran Carter has always been such an accessible figure in the Ryder Nation. He is wonderful with children. Uh, I remember a fan telling me one time that Deron Carter talked to their their six-year-old for 20 minutes about butterflies. This is the <laughs> kind of guy that was out in the community. If you remember uh, back in just right before the East Final in Toronto, he yeah. took about 30 Rough theater. Rider fans to the movies. Yeah, he wanted to, you know, be surrounded by people he considered, you know, friends. And that was kind of a way he wanted to wind down. And so he... He went and, and, and bought members of the Ryder Nation tickets to see a DC movie. I mean, this is someone that really endeared himself to the rough, you know, to the Rough Rider fan base. It's a fan base that responds to that kind of engagement with it. It's a community-owned team. They want that out of their players. And the players that get that become very well-loved. And, and Deron Carter really became a part of that. And I think he really felt like the Ryder Nation accepted him for who he was. And in turn, that just embolden him more to be more out there in the community and so that's why i think you saw the polarizing opinions of the rider nation yeah the fans really enjoyed you know interacting with him they were upset with the fact that he was moved to defense back and mm-hmm. they never i don't think they really felt there i don't think anybody feels there was a, a proper explanation for why that happened then he gets released so it just seems to be be building and 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 i want to ask you ariel you go back to when chris jones arrived and it's john chick it's dressler it's it's mm-hmm. bag it's now uh Deron carter uh it's darian durant so many so many popular popular players in saskatchewan have been let go by uh, chris jones since he's gotten there he's he's not making many friends with the fans is he and on the flip side he's not winning enough football games to ignore that well and i think that that's part of the problem is that if he was winning a whole bunch of games this season and he was making these decisions then i think the fan base would be a little you know satiated by by what he was doing i mean making it to the east final last year that had a lot of people feeling like he was vindicated but i don't think anyone really expected the 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 wholesale cuts of 
especially Rob Bagg, who's been, you know, a lifelong rider, and Bakari Grant, who had a thousand yard season, and some of these people, uh, some of these players that the Rider Nation was really excited to have on the team, and then to see them struggle like they did, it, it does make you wonder, especially on offense, what some of those people could have brought to the team. I think the Darian Durant situation was handled very poorly by Chris Jones. I think part of the reason, perhaps, we didn't actually uh, get a lot of answers about Deron Carter is perhaps he learned his lesson when, you know, when Darian Durant was uh, was traded by the team and he called him moderately successful and how, you know, much of a fervor that caused in the Ryder Nation that maybe he felt it was best not to, you know, make any comments in that regard. And in some ways, perhaps that's admirable. But, um, yeah, it, it, I think if he doesn't start turning things around and start winning more football games, there's, there's going to be a lot more questions about what Chris Jones is doing and what his overall plan is, you know, for this team because I think there's a lot of people wondering if he even has one. All right, Ariel, I appreciate your insight tonight on this. It's going to be pretty fun, I think, around uh, Regina when the Riders go back to practice on Wednesday. Thanks for your time tonight. You're very welcome. All right, that is uh, Ariel Zer, who uh, covers the uh, Riders in Regina for CJME Radio. Uh, it's going to be an interesting story. There's no doubt about that uh, when the Riders go back to work uh, on Wednesday. Some of the comments will be interesting to hear. Uh, we'll uh, talk more Eskimo football later on in the program tonight. We'll talk a little hockey as well uh, when we come back. I'm Morley Scott, in for Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet Inside Sports. You're listening to 6.30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Morley in for Reed tonight on 6.30 Ched Inside Sports. Don't forget the Eskimos coming up on Saturday night. How excited are you to see Johnny Manziel? He's going to be in town starting for the Montreal Alouettes Saturday. We've got the game for you right here on 6.30 Ched. 7 o'clock start, 5.30 for the countdown to kickoff from the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. The Eskimos and the uh, Montreal Alouettes. We'll talk with the coach more about that coming up at 7.30 tonight. An hour from now, Jason Moss will be sitting across from me here in the studio and we'll uh, talk to him on the coach's show for mentioning Allen Auctioneering. We'll also talk with Eskimos quarterback Mike Riley as well before the show is done tonight also. So lots of football talk coming up, but right now we're going to have a little hockey talk as uh, Peter Labardius from Sportsnet 960 joins us, uh, the Flames color analyst and lover of all things junior hockey. Hey Pete, how are you? Really nice to hear from you. Uh, yeah, nice to talk to you, Pete. Uh, you must have had a great time last week. I know how you love junior hockey and everything about it. Uh, sitting at uh, Rogers Place and watching those games must have been uh, pretty exciting for you for the Gre- uh, Helenka Gretzky Cup. I had a fabulous time. Had a chance as well to hook up with a couple of old friends who love international hockey almost as much as I do. And um, it's been on my pocket list, and still part of it is to one of these years make my way over to Slovakia and the Czech Republic to watch that annual event overseas but great to have the opportunity to do it and was just so thoroughly impressed by the overall talent level of the tournament I sat back in my seat on Saturday night plus, as you know only in Canada maybe only in Edmonton or a couple of other places with 10,000 people show up to a 17-year-old hockey tournament in August, but was amazed morely all week by the fact that these kids are just so talented and so good at that age. And and I just found myself at, at times thinking and saying to my buddies who I was with, is this really a 17-year-old hockey tournament? 
Indeed. Uh, and before we talk more about the the actual games and, and the talent level, as you brought up, uh, the event itself, uh, it's not the first time in Canada, but uh, it's the first time with any real gusto in Canada. It was back in 1996. It was in Nelson yeah. and Castlegar, B.C., but it's pretty much been in the Czech Republic or, or Slovakia with a couple of stops in Japan and Mexico over the years. But mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be here again in uh, 2020 and then again in 2022. I think... This event, uh, the TV coverage, being in a hockey market like this, really put the tournament on a map because I'm willing to guess that there was a lot of people in that crowd of 10,000 on Saturday at the game who two, three weeks ago didn't even know this tournament existed. Morley, I might even take it a step farther. How many tickets, and I'd like to know and, and haven't researched the answer, I'd like to know how many tickets the semifinal game against the United States on Friday, which was filled at the end with controversy but was highly entertaining. I'd like to know that game in particular on television, how many tickets that helped to sell for Saturday night on its own. But, you know, I know Bob Nicholson for a long time because he talked to me about it when he was the president of Hockey Canada, maybe even more than 10 years ago, about how he would have liked to have seen the world under 18 championship move potentially to early September rather than in its place where it is now, always in April. And, and needless to say for Canadians, one of the reasons is, is this now, Morley, when you think about it, is pretty much the only tournament where Canada has an opportunity to have all its best players. Mm-hmm. Because it's not the case at the April tournament because a lot of times some of our best players are, and it'll be the case this year for sure when I look around and see this team and some of the club teams that the kids are on from this very talented Canadian group, we don't have all our best. And yet it's kind of the opposite to the United States where the team they send to this event every year is kind of their B team, and the kids who don't make their under-18 team as part of their big national development team program. So, um, you know, because I love the Canada-U.S. rivalry, as anybody who knows me knows, I'd love to see a situation where it's Canada's best against their best, and then let's decide. But as of right now, nobody's been able to kind of make that happen. And because players aren't always available at the World Junior, because they're in the NHL, and now we're without a true best-on-best, which is the Olympic Games at the highest level, this age group is kind of the only one where Canada has all its best players available to it for a term. And rightfully so, I guess, because of that, they did dominate the tournament for the most part, but there was that controversy from the semifinal game against the United States. Uh, The puck was in after the whistle. Everybody seems to agree that possibly the mistake was made and Canada shouldn't even have won that game to get to the final. That's kind of the only, I don't want to call it a black mark on this tournament, but that's that's the only thing that people are are talking about as a negative from the last week. Yeah, it it would be for me. It it does put a bit of an asterisk on the Canadian win, no question about it. But I said this on my own radio station today, Morley. I could fill tonight's show and two weeks of shows with certain injustices that I've seen in international hockey over the years where maybe things didn't work out for the country I hope for, that being Canada. And you know what happens in these situations, and it probably should have happened in hindsight 
with this one. I understand that they didn't have video review because of the fact that, you know, there were games played at the rink in Red Deer, and it's a beautiful new building, by the way, what they've done with that service arena where the other games were played. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing that probably could have happened is, is why wouldn't you say through the round-robin portion of the tournament there's no video re- review, but when you move to Edmonton for all the, you know, for the semifinals and the medal games where you do have it at your disposal, then maybe you use it. So I understand why it happened. It's unfortunate for the United States who played a whale of a game against Canada. I thought Canada, you know, struggled, especially defensively in that game, that, you know, for them it's it's really hard to take. And if it happened the other way, yeah, I wouldn't like it very much either. So, but, yeah, for me that's the only asterisk, and it was a pretty special week. Uh, Canada dominated for the most part, and the Canadian team dominated by uh, Westerners. WHL had, what, 11, I think, of the, 11, of, of the players in the team? So that's certainly a feather in the cap for Ron Robison in the Western Hockey League. Well, it is a great week. Uh, great to see that kind of representation. A lot of high-end kids out of Western Canada and out of the Western League. And, and Morley, I think in some ways, really important for the Western League because you and I both know we've been around it for a long time. Every age group is different. You know, it goes in cycles. You have some great age groups, and then you have some age groups that aren't quite so good. And the age group for the Western League prospects at last year's draft was not a great one. So, you know, that was a little tough for people to swallow. But now they're following it up with, you know, a year where there's going to be lots of names from the Western Hockey League called at next June's draft, and if this past week is any indication, you won't have to wait very long to hear a Western Hockey League player and his name being called. So, and for fans of the Oil Kings and of the Western Hockey League, you got some great kids to continue to watch for the next two or three years, maybe outside of a couple of cases where when I think about Dylan Cousins and Lethbridge, I wonder even as early as right now, is he going to be around... It might be a stretch for his 18-year-old year, but I don't see him being around to close out his 19-year-old year in junior hockey. Uh, who left? Who impressed you uh, uh, from all the oh, teams? I know the Swedes had some some real good players, but who who impressed yeah. you overall? Well, for me, the top guy in the tournament was Alexis Lafreniere of Ramuski, who, as a 16-year-old, put up 42 goals as a 16-year-old in the queue last season. I thought he was really good for Canada in April as an underage at the World Under-18. He's big, he's strong, he's a powerful skater. He has outstanding skill, and and I think, for me, the most impressive player of a very impressive event with lots of great players. Matter of fact, Morley, I think he'll very much be in the hunt in his 17-year-old year to play for his country in Vancouver coming up at the World Junior. I talked about Dylan Cousins. Uh, I've been very impressed with him going back to when I watched him in his 15-year-old year make a difference for Lethbridge in the Western Hockey Lake playoffs. And at that point, I thought I saw a pretty special guy, and that's been the case. Bowen Byram of Team Canada, who's from Lethbridge, a member of the Vancouver Giants, looks to me on defense like he's going to be a first-rounder from other countries, really blown away, in fact, by a couple of underagers from Sweden, especially Alexander Holtz, who's a 2002-born, as was his line mate, 
Lucas Raymond. They were outstanding. Philip Broberg really made an impression on me as as a big six foot three defenseman who really didn't have the same type of attention going into this event as far as the upcoming draft is the Swedish captain who's a really good player and Tobias Bornfoot. But uh, I joked today on our radio station, uh, Morley, coming in to do a little research on some of the other kids. I saw, and I, this isn't to make anybody who ever puts a mock draft together, because I help to do one once a year. It's next to impossible. Hmm. But I saw Broberg at 112. If that guy lasts past 12, it may be a stretch. Uh, kid from Russia, Vasily Putkolzin. Apologize for the Russian listeners, because I probably messed it up. Uh, very, very good player. Looks like a first-rounder, had himself quite a bronze medal game and quite a tournament. It was a really good Russian team. And then another kid to try and get through it as quick as I can. Cause, you know, Kirby Doc, good Fort Saskatchewan kid, Peyton Krebs. You know, that Canadian team, that 2001 group, Morley, will be really interesting as the years go by to see how many kids from this team play in the National Hockey League and how many of them are impactful. Because for me, this has been one of the better age groups that I've seen in this event for a few years at least. All right, uh, Peter Lobardius, thanks for your time tonight. I appreciate it, and uh, I can tell by the sound of your voice you had a great time last week. Uh, enjoy what's left of your summer, man. I, I will, and uh, keep up the great work on the Eskimos, and you make hosting this show like you do it every day all the time. Oh, wow, we'll see. We're not done yet, but thanks. <laughs> okay, Peter, have a great day, Take buddy. Thanks. Alright, that's uh, Peter Labardi. is from the Fan 916 Calgary. He also works on the Flames broadcast as well. And uh, man, he knows more about junior hockey than most people. That's for sure. Great to talk to. Just loves the game. You can hear the enthusiasm in his voice. Uh, we're at... Uh... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 6.45 here on 6.30 Chit Inside Sports. Morley Scott in for Reed Wilkins. When we come back, we'll talk with the quarterback. Mike Riley joins us next. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Ah, Reed's got some time off for the next couple of days. Morley Scott in tonight. Dave Campbell will uh, steer the ship uh, the rest of the week until Reed returns. I think Reed's coming back on Thursday night uh, to uh, raise the bar back up to where it belongs here on 630 Chad Inside Sports. Uh, but until then, you're stuck with me tonight. And then uh, Dave's in on uh, Tuesday, tomorrow, and on Wednesday. Uh, it's the Eskimos. And uh, the Montreal Alouette Saturday. It'll be at the Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. Uh, tickets available through all the uh, the usual outlets. Should be a pretty decent crowd. I would think there would be some interest in uh, not only seeing the Eskimos, but seeing uh, uh, the other team in this game. That's Johnny Manziel and the Montreal Alouettes. Will Deron Carter be part of the Alouettes by the time it happens? Uh, I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit more about the Eskimos right now with the quarterback, Mike Riley, who joined us now. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm uh, pretty good, thank you. Uh, let's go back to Thursday night. I know you've probably gone back to it several times since the game and, and had a look at it. How tough has that game been to relive? It's been tough. I mean, all of them are. Anytime that you lose, it's it's never never a good feeling. Um, 
you know, and it takes me a while to get over losses. Um, and certainly in a game where, you know, we felt like we had played pretty well for good chunks of the game, um, but didn't play well when it mattered most. Uh, you know, those are generally a little harder to get over, but uh, you got to do it. You know, you got to watch the film, you got to learn from it. And thankfully, those are experiences that are happening in August, and, and hopefully they'll help us down the road um, in November. And that's that's what the season's all about. You know, it, it's it's a process the entire year, and, and you got to take the good with the bad, but you got to learn. You got to learn from both, but you always, as I say, learn more from the bad than you do the good. How tough is it to watch the film? And I know there's probably a couple of games that go into this category this season. The game Thursday night. NBC, the the game in Toronto would be one of them too, where you played pretty well, but you still didn't win. You did mm-hmm. a lot of things you wanted to do, but you still didn't win. And it's it's probably a smaller portion of the game went wrong for you, but that's the part that cost you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would agree with that assessment for sure. You know, we've lost three times, and and certainly two out of the three we've felt that way. The game, um, you know, that we lost against Hamilton early in the season, uh, felt like they just they played really well and outplayed us, and we didn't maybe you know play such a great game throughout the entire time. But the the other two, um, including this one in BC, you know, with a lot of the times we were doing exactly what we wanted to do, um, executing at a high level. Uh, so much talk had been made outside of our room about our starts, you know, and we went down and scored on the first drive and marched the ball all the way down the field um, and really played a good first half, I felt like, as an entire team. Um, you know, they, they had the long punt return for the touchdown that was really kind of the only spark that they were able to get in the first half. Um, and, you know, I think we put up 20 points or something like that, but really uh, we came out in the third quarter and did not set the tone how we wanted to, and really the third quarter um, was was probably our worst quarter as a team overall. I think we only had four plays offensively, and there were just two possessions of two and outs. Uh, defensively, they drove down the field, um, had a couple of long drives that ended in one with a touchdown. I think the other one was points as well. Um, you know, And that just that kind of carried over into the fourth quarter. So rather than continuing to establish the momentum that we had in the first half, we let them take it away. Where was the mix? Was it more what you didn't do or more that they did to take it away? Uh, I mean, it's always a combination of both, for sure. Um, you know, they went down and executed their offensive drive. Um, you know, we talked about it as a team. We we had some discipline issues on in all three phases of the game, um, which, which certainly aided them. Um, you know, and then offensively, it was a combination of they did a couple of nice things, but also, you know, we didn't execute well in either of those two drives. And, uh, you know, the, the first drive, we set ourselves back with a penalty, um, you know, and then didn't execute on second and long and then the second drive uh, we had them in second and medium and and in the drop back you know went through the progression and didn't find um, you know the right guy to throw it to and they ended up with a sack so good coverage but also uh, probably if I go through my progression a little bit quicker and a little bit better uh, we have a different result so it's it's always a combination of things um, but you can't take anything away from them they're the ones that are forcing those things half the time kind of weird it almost flipped they were the team that came back in the second half you used to see in the Eskimos maybe not so much struggle but be down and then and come back in the second yeah, half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's um, you know we we're not. I don't want to say that we we like being in those scenarios, <laughs> but we're comfortable in them. We've been in them, you know, many times. Um, you know, and and that was a scenario in the game. Even with all the things that had gone against us, whether by our own fault or by design by BC, uh, in that second half, we still had the ball. Uh, you know, with whatever it was, a minute and a half left, and down by eight points, which is again not unfamiliar territory for us. Certainly in that building, uh, we were. In worse shape last year needing 16 points um we got the job done that time 
and, and we came close, uh, but didn't finish uh, what we had started in that one. A couple of real big swings. First, the, in the first half, when they scored the touchdowns, called back, then the Corey Jones interception, and then you guys scored right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the good turnaround. The bad turnaround seemed to be after the turnover, and then Otha Foster tipped that football mm-hmm. for the interception. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you were set up at that point to, yeah. to do what you normally do in those situations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was a great play uh, by our defense to give us the ball and, and gave us uh, you know a great chance down in, in their end of the field. And, um, you know, Unfortunately, it was again two things. It was it was me maybe making not a great decision in terms of I uh, would like to have that back to be able to reset back through my progression. But at the same time, thought I had a window to throw it in there, and then Otha made a good play to get a hand on it. Uh, and that's the way the ball goes sometimes, getting picked off by a, a different defender that just happens to be in the right spot. So um, you know, good play by them, bad play by me uh, results in in a swing in momentum for sure. So uh, again, thought that we took advantage of the turnover early in the game, like you talked about, scored on the first. First play after Corey set us up uh, on the whatever it was 10 15 yard line um, you know but uh, later in the game we didn't have those we didn't create those momentum swings for us and and they did penalties yeah um, I, I, I don't know how to put this you're, you're next week's week number nine you're halfway through your season All right, when does it get to the point where maybe you, you don't you can't correct things and you're just a team that takes all the penalties and fights through it where's the where's the fine line yeah, of that in I your don't, mind I don't know honestly it's uh, I felt like the week before we yeah. had taken a step in the right direction you know it wasn't uh, exactly a completely clean game but in comparison to what we had done for most of the season you know our penalties were down and then in this game they just jump right back up so you know I don't I don't know what it is. We've, we've talked about so many different things and, and tried to figure it out and analyzed it and all that type of stuff. Um, you know, and outside of just the guys that are committing the penalties, figuring it out, I don't really know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to continue to be something that is going to make things extremely challenging until it gets fixed. We all know that. And, um, you know, we're at, sitting at five and three, I mean, we got to be realistic here too. You know, we have the second best record in the league and, um, you know, it's still not as good as what it should be if we had just executed a couple of plays differently. But at the same time, even in the games that we've won, we've made things a lot more challenging for ourselves because of those penalties. So uh, if we continue that, it's going to be hard every single week. And if we clean that up, then things are going to be, you know, a lot easier for us. I know we talk about a lot in the broadcasts. You guys obviously must talk about a lot in meetings. How tough is it to just keep bringing it up week after week after week? I mean, it's just, it's frustrating for sure because you know it's not like we're a rookie team we do have some young guys on the field but we're you know mostly veteran guys in terms of who's out there on the field making plays and committing penalties you know and, it, and that's not something that you expect to have from your veteran guys um, you know and it's something that uh the coaches have tried to handle. The players have tried to handle. Nothing has seemed to work. Um, so I don't. I don't know what the what the special answer is for that. You know, we're gonna. We're not just gonna give up on it. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're gonna keep trying to correct it and figure out. You know, different ways to approach it. Um, you know, because until we do, it's gonna continue to be an issue. Offensively, uh, you got a lot of points against Montreal a few weeks back. You've, you've had games where you've scored sixteen, I think it was, and one. Uh, you've been under twenty a couple of times and lost. Uh, do, do you think your? Do you feel your offense needs to? Sp- right now I, I thought in the second half on Thursday night you just didn't have you just needed something and and that play just didn't come and and I and I see Fidel Hazelton is probably close enough to play Bryant Mitchell has uh, been healthy and not been in the lineup two guys who can obviously make plays and maybe be that spark do you think something needs to happen well I mean I, I don't know in in the sense of I don't think we need a personnel change for for that spark to happen I know I I have complete faith in the in the personnel that we have on the field um, I it's always nice to have a spark throughout 
every single game that you play, that's generally what happens. Something comes up. And again, I felt like we were rolling in the first half. You know, that was probably one of our better first halves that we played all year. Um, we were three for three in the red zone, had whatever it was, I think 20 points in the first half. Um, you know, and, and, outside of a couple of opportunities that we maybe would have liked to do better, um, which is the case in every single game. I thought that we really executed our game plan exactly how we wanted to, and, and we were doing what we expected to do out there. Uh, but in the second half, when you you know, you know get into that little bit of a lull and the mo- momentum's shifted, you do need that spark, and you got to find it somehow. And, and they come in different ways. It, it could be in a big run. It could be in a big pass down the field. It could just be in a sustained drive where you're just taking you know little chunks here and there, but you're just executing all the way down so um, it's got to be one of those scenarios when you feel the game start to go that way you can't have everything shut down and just go tune out tune out tune out and that's unfortunately what happened with us you, you kind of touched on it. like that first half as you said one of your best first halves you did a lot of things right uh, you executed the trick play on the field goal everything was going in your direction and then to all of a sudden be only able to score three points in the in the second half that's probably the biggest mystery of everything coming yeah out certainly and, and you know again people have talked to me all season long about the slow starts and I've said I don't care about the starts. I care about the complete four quarters, and I can, you know, I care about us finishing the game how we have to, um, you know. So I, if we'd have come out and not put any points on the board in the first half, but came out and and put at least one point more than they did, uh, you know, for the total game in that second half, then it's a success. But uh, you know, it doesn't really matter how you start if you don't finish it. And we did not finish that game, which is the most disappointing thing because that's something that we're generally very good at. Back to work tomorrow. Uh, what's this week? going to be like do you think what's it have to be like I mean, it's going to be, we're, we're not going to switch things up in, in the sense of we, we feel like we always come in uh, with the, the attitude that it's the most important game of the season, and, you know, that's how we operate as professionals. If you're not doing it that way, you're doing something wrong. So if you feel like you have to make some big adjustment, again, this guy's not falling, you know. We're 5-3. and three. That's not where we want to be. You know, of course, we, we want to be 8-0. Oh. Um, we certainly feel like we could be 7-1 and one if we would have executed a little bit better, but we're 5-3, and three, and we're realistic about the fact that, you know, we're, we're very successful in a lot of things, but there's also a lot of areas that we need to get better at if we want to get to, you know, the ultimate prize, which is playing in Edmonton at the end of November. So, um, you know, this week is a longer week than we've had over the last couple of weeks. There's more time for preparation. Um, You know, a couple of days off, guys can kind of get away from it, get their bodies and their minds recharged. And, you know, the expectation is when we come into work on day one, guys are going to be feeling fresh and excited about the week and ready to put the work in to make sure that we don't have those slip-ups. And regardless of what's going on in Montreal and around the Alouettes, and they're obviously a big story since the Johnny Manziel trade, they're a team that you should beat and you should be capable of beating. Yeah, there's no question about that. We felt that way about BC as well, you know. But the reality about this league is is it's a fine line between success and failure in the win loss column you know it it comes down to a handful of plays really no matter who you're playing and those plays can happen early in the game and swing momentum and and it can end up being a blowout or they can happen late in the game and it's going to be you know coming down to the last play and you never know what those plays are going to be so I don't care who you're playing against whether it's Montreal who's in last place or Calgary who's in first place you better come out and you better be ready to play and you better be ready when those those six seven plays present themselves to take that opportunity and make sure that you're successful so you have the win so it's not going to be an easy easy game it's not going to be an easy week but if we go out there and we play and execute how we should we will win the football game that's the reality but if we don't then you know it's what you deserve right exactly there's no doubt yeah all right mike appreciate your time tonight as always thanks very much yeah thanks more that's mike riley when we come back tiger talk on 630 chet inside sports 630 chet inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at six on 630 chet